All right. Well, I have been thinking about this episode and today's guest uh, all weekend, which is a feat because it was a four-day weekend, July 4th. Weekend was this past weekend. Recording this episode, Tuesday, July 5th, second half of the year. Hope you're going to make the second half of your year fantastic. And, you know, our guest today, we're going to get into advertising and marketing. And that's one of those topics that just makes my head spin with ideas and opportunities. It's, it's where my core lane is in all of my businesses. So my guest, John Fallis, is someone who was fired four times at advertising, told his advertising sucked and should even pursue, shouldn't even pursue a career in advertising. And despite all of that, launched a successful ad agency on Madison Avenue, gaining many awards, being recognized as one of the 12 best agencies on the Avenue, and has continued on in his career throughout his career, uh, evolving into digital marketing, helping small businesses, being passionate about charities. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. Glad to be here. Yeah. I'm glad you're here, man. I'm very excited uh, about having you on. I really do mean that. I know like that's kind of like what every host has to say about the guests, but this is one of those, what we're going to get into is one of these topics that's like right in my lane. I'm in my upstairs office where we record, but if I was downstairs, you would see all of the books that I have on advertising and marketing. And um, uh, so I just love the topic. So thanks so much for taking out the time uh, to be here. So in the pre-show, I asked, John, what are you up to today? So why don't you share, you know, just real quick, share with our listeners kind of the the, the weaving journey of John Fallis and then what you're focusing your time on today and why you're doing the show. Yeah, so um, I... Um, Graduated Syracuse University, which is one of the top schools in the country uh, for advertising, um, especially if you're on the creative side. I, I was um, both, well, I started out as an art director and developed a talent for writing. So I, once I got into working, I, I used both design and, and writing skills and uh, uh, didn't go to New York uh, right out of school. I was intimidated by New York. I, I grew up in Connecticut, and I'm I'm not re not really a city guy, so I was afraid to go there directly. But after five years working in other cities, decided it was time for the big leagues. Moved to New York, and uh, proceeded to get my ass kicked, uh, which is what I feared uh, in the first place because uh, I, I don't know if there's any city in the world that's a tougher place to work than New York City, especially in the advertising business. Just very competitive, a lot of big egos. And, um, you know, if you don't smile at the right person in the elevator, you know, you, you can easily get your, you know, thrown out of an agency if you just don't know how to, um, you know, play the game. And I was not good at, at playing the game. I didn't... Um, really understand office politics. And that was one of the, the main reasons I didn't do well in the corporate environment. So of the 30, 35 years, I can say I worked in advertising uh, and marketing. It was only about seven years uh, working for other people. The other uh, 28 or so years was as an entrepreneur. So after, after getting fired is when I kind of was forced to look at things differently and began freelancing, which was the beginning of my entrepreneurial experience. And after a few years of doing that, attracted the attention of a, of a business guy who was excellent at business development. And uh, 
in a very short time, the two of us started picking up clients. And within four years of collaborating, we had one of the uh, most successful small agencies in the country. We were one of the top award-winning agencies in the country, and uh, it was it was pretty crazy. After you know going through the experience of getting fired as many times as I did, and being told by my first college advertising instructor that I sucked and shouldn't pursue advertising, um, and then I. Um, Went off on my own, did my own thing for a while. And eventually around 2004, when I saw the um, the way the media landscape was changing and the way I was interfacing with a lot of smaller business owners that didn't necessarily need advertising, but they all needed marketing help. I started an online uh, consulting business. Uh, back then, it was Skype. I don't think Zoom existed, but it was the same idea. So right. um, it was kind of cool to be able to work with small business owners around the country, sitting here at my 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 desk and uh, being able to present work through a, a shared screen interface. Which you know, back in two thousand four, that was a pretty that was a pretty new thing, um, and did that for about ten years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so then about mid-2014-ish mid or so, that's when you kind of got out of the game, retired, and you're focused well, on... Well, you know, um, it, was, it was really cool kind of branding myself as, as what I called myself was marketing therapy because a lot of the business people that I were talking to, it, just having a conversation with them and asking them about their business and, and them asking for my feedback, half the time I felt like it was... Like being like I was being a therapist talking to these people because they were so emotionally wrapped up with their businesses. You know, I would say, well, how does that make you feel? You know, <laughs> wait, people get emotionally wrapped up with their business. Come on, and, and you know, I, and you know, when I began talking to clients, I, it, it really helped me. You know, it's kind of funny because I did some volunteer work years ago, where I was doing telephone crisis training, where you're talking to people sometimes could be suicidal. And and I went through 50 hours of training to really um, figure out how to enable people to open up about whatever their their issue is. And I realized that when I started my marketing consulting, a lot of the skills I learned as a telephone crisis uh, person really applied also to the business owners I was talking to. So uh, even though I kind of joke about feeling like a therapist in many ways it really was uh like therapy talking to these people and and really you know making sure that they felt like they were being heard a lot of marketing people aren't good listeners they're salespeople and they're they're always focused on making the sale and and talking and i learned that it was really important to ask them questions about their business and get them to open up on on a deeper level and it just enabled me as a marketing expert to really uh, hone in on what the real issue was and be able to solve their problem. So um, back to your question, around 2012, um, the hot topic was digital video. And I don't know if you're familiar with the term explainer video. Have you heard that term? Oh, yeah. Yep, very much Okay, so. well, some of your listeners may not be so familiar with it, but... Um, I think in 2012, that was something that was one of the top 10 most searched terms on Google because explainer videos were just um, the 
kind of preferred video that a lot of businesses, especially if the businesses were more B2B businesses where they were a bit esoteric and required a bit of explaining for, for the viewer to understand exactly what their product or service did and how that, that product or service could, could, uh, you know, uh, solve, solve a problem. So they often used a lot of animation, stuff like that. Maybe the white, you're familiar with the white, whiteboard yep. videos where it shows people scribbling. Where so it's that, scribbling, scribbling in the images and, and telling and that, the story. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, you know, people may not be familiar with the term whiteboard, but they've all, they're all familiar with what, what that was visually. And, and that, that's an example of an explainer video that became super, super popular around that time. And being the creative person that I was, um, I realized that as much fun as it was being a marketing consultant, that uh, if I could tell people when people ask me what I do, um, if I could also mention that I do um, really effective videos that can help promote their business or service, that that would be a real asset for me to offer any small business owner. So that's when I kind of... Uh, I didn't stop doing marketing consulting, but I added another element of that, which I called big idea video. And it wasn't exclusively uh, explainer type videos, but it was all digital video that would go on on their website or their YouTube channel. And back in 2012, I you know even now I'm amazed, Jeff, how how few people really realize that you can't you can't have a business in 2022 and not have a lot of really good video content. And I'm talking 10 years ago. And uh, back then, it, it, I would say most business owners that I talked to, uh, if if they had any video, it really sucked. So, so you know, marketing is kind of a... a uh, such a... a um, big, broad, and ill-defined word that can mean anything to anyone. But when I said digital video on your website or online, they all knew what that was. So that was a, a nice thing to be able to offer. So that's when I got into that starting about 20... Uh, big idea video went up in 2013, and that was a focus from from that point up, up until recently. Yeah. Well, speaking of video, we had... Um, and And, you know, no surprise... I like the video medium. That's why we do this show live. You know, it, it's the only downside of podcasting in this format is it does constrain your schedule to whatever your production schedule is, weekly, daily, monthly. Um, you have to be in a spot, you know, whereas if you just do an audio podcast, you could record an episode from a vacation, from a business trip breakout for the time being. But uh, yeah, this is why we do video because... We create really great video that looks good, is, is pleasing to the eye, and and then we take it and break it out into these microdoses down the road, and we get a lot from it. But uh, one of my one of my friends, uh, business associates, uh, we we looked at him, Chris Kurtz from Media Twist Group. Boy, this is a guy doing a lot with video and actually bringing you know 3D video into advertising, um, bringing the metaverse forward in a way that makes sense to people. Um, he's doing just some amazing, amazing stuff. You guys would definitely, uh, have a lot to connect with on, but, um, but you, you said, you know, small businesses don't need, your agency was kind of created around small businesses who didn't necessarily 
need advertising or you focus on business owners who didn't need advertising, but they needed marketing help. And those are two words that I think a lot of people, I don't think I know, and you know, a lot of people are confused on. So why don't you share your definitions of the two and why certain businesses need both and why certain businesses need marketing? Yeah, well, when I was a... um a co-founder of my ad agency running running my agency business in the 90s, the clients that we were working with had dedicated advertising media budget. So the question for them wasn't um, uh, so much whether I do advertising or marketing. They just they knew they needed advertising because again, this was the mid-90s, so it was pre-internet. And uh, the businesses were big enough to justify an advertising budget. So they were just trying to find the best agency to do uh, do their advertising. But as, um, as time evolved and the media landscape evolved and uh, the mid-90s turned into the late 90s, uh, more and more, especially smaller businesses, were starting to ask the question about, well, what do I do online? And how do I, you know, I, I don't have a, especially when I left my partnership, I was kind of, uh, I had a couple people working for me, but I was interfacing with smaller prospects. So when I was networking, the people I were talking to uh, didn't have big businesses. They didn't have a dedicated advertising budget. Um, so that's what I mean by saying um, when they heard the A word, they would kind of, politely walk away from me and get another drink because to them that they just figured that I was a guy that was too big for them because I was looking for someone with an advertising budget with which they didn't have but they that didn't stop them from asking me questions well you know about uh, their website or about their digital uh you know so, so it was pre social media but they were asking me about the internet and how do they how can they market their their uh, businesses uh, online so that's when i realized that i i couldn't really uh, continue branding myself as an ad agency guy if i wanted to continue trying to find because i, I just again i was networking and i just wasn't interfacing with with large clients that had dedicated advertising budget so that's right. when I began to realize I had to change my business model. And the, I think the thing that's the, what's important to take away from what we're talking about, Jeff, is that no business can stay the same. I don't care what your, your, your business or industry is. You have to continue to pay attention to um, how things change um, because uh, nothing is going to stay the same. And if you don't have your fingers on the pulse of where things are going, not just where they are now, but where things could be in the next uh, 5, 10, 20 years, you're, you're going to find yourself you know, trying to catch up. So that's when I would, I would take my cues. You know, as I, I would always try to pay attention to, to what I needed to be you know, two, three, four, five years um, from where I was now. And that's when I realized that advertising and ad agency was kind of an old school model that maybe it worked in the 80s and 90s, but not so much for me, you know, after the turn of the century. So I guess that's that's a lesson for every every small business owner, I think. You'll like this. So 
John, you'll you'll love this. I'm going to give you and Chris Kurtz, again, the gentleman I said earlier is tuning in. The fact that we've been able to keep Chris Kurtz, who's like a mile a minute Tasmanian devil, Svengali of marketing on the line for 18 minutes means we're talking about something important. Um, and he's coming to you most likely from Rock Lidditz, which if you, you may not know Rock Lidditz, but Rock Lidditz is like, a major rock and roll complex. It's like the shopping center, get ready, prepare epicenter of the rock and roll universe right in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, in the middle of Amish country. You're kidding me. You know, no, no. You have like Rolling Stones come in there, Sammy Hagar, um, Journey, Justin Bieber, Selena. Every music artist you can think of comes to Rock It's to prepare for their stage sets, their sound. They go through their tour. Uh, set up and tear down and show run through. Uh, wow. So I just say that because you, you said in the pre-show, right now your time, you spend some time playing guitar. Well, he's like in guitar mecca, kind of. All the Some of the greatest guitar players come through there. Um, and Chris is, Chris is an amazing partner in our business. And when you said you got to be looking ahead five, 10 years down the road, you did that in 2003 when you shifted your, your focus um, of being an advertising agency to being marketing help. And I think a lot of people still to this day, like they get the two twisted. They think advertising is marketing. Marketing is advertising when there are two distinct things. You touched on a big idea. I love the David Ogilvy quote. If, you're, if your marketing doesn't have a big idea in it, doesn't convey a big idea, it passes like a ship in the night. That's, um, yeah. Well, it, you, you're, I'm impressed with your... Um, your knowledge and 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 focus and awareness of the, the 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 importance of advertising and marketing because you may have the best product or service in the world but if you're not good at promoting it and getting it uh, getting your message and the benefit of your product and service out to your audience in a way that not not only informs them but excites them and what you just touched on was a big idea, and it's the the the, the idea that uh, that makes your prospect excited about wanting your product or service, and that's kind of the holy grail. Is how do you what is what is the big idea that is going to get your audience excited? And that was my focus as a creative person. That's what. I was able to do well enough to to grow our ad agency and and, and basically stay in business for for thirty five years, uh, most of which was as an entrepreneur. Yep, yeah. And you had you know you had you had many big ideas throughout your career, but the one that landed in marketing textbooks was case study. You know, was a case study upon a case study. Was your Sorrel Ridge campaign? Yeah, there were there were a couple of them. That was one of them. We, uh, which I'm happy to talk about. We also yeah, talk um, us through that. Yeah. So it was probably um, four months after I started working this guy with this guy that I mentioned earlier, who was a uh, business development guy who I really didn't know at all, and. Uh, he was referred to me because uh, I had done some award-winning work and some work that was getting a lot of great attention around New York. So I, my, you know, my credentials as a as a creative guy was pretty uh, solid for him. But as as a good business guy or new business guy for me, I, I really 
I didn't know if he was any good or not. So after about four months, uh, nothing was really happening. We, we, we were really not getting any great assignments until he mentioned that he connected with a, a guy in uh, New Jersey who had a, a business selling jam, you know, jam jelly. And I of said, all of all things, right? Of, like all, of all things, things. I, yeah. And he said, and I said, well, well, that's interesting. And he said, yeah, but it's it's not just regular jam; it's like really healthy jam. And I said, well, what's what is healthy jam? And he said, well, we got a meeting with a guy who's going to tell us all about it. So I'm going to date myself here, Jeff, but this was back in in 1988 uh, when there was no such thing as you know all fruit jam or jelly. Sorrel Ridge uh, at the time was, I think, the only jam or jelly that can could legally call themselves all fruit. And we, you know, we we went to the guy's uh, uh, building um, operation in New Jersey, and he kind of walked us around and explained to us that um, something I was shocked by. He said, "You know," he said, "How much fruit do you think is in the average Smucker's jam?" And I said, "I don't know," you know. 70%. He said 8%. He said the <laughs> average jar of Smucker's jam has 8% of fruit jelly. I said, so we said, what, what's the rest of it? He said refined sugar and high, fructo high fructose corn syrup, which he said is, you know, two of the most unhealthy things you could put in your body. Yep. He said, with our jam, we're 100% fruit and fruit juice. And this is the message that we we want to get out. And he said, I want you guys to know that we're talking to five other ad agencies. So uh, this is going to be a shootout. The best agency wins. Are you interested? And we said, sure. So, you know, it's really rare. I have to tell you, you know, in the advertising business that as a creative person, you, you have the opportunity to work on a product that is really exceptional. You know, most of the time, uh, if you're lucky, it's just okay. And oftentimes it sucks. You know, right. and the and and the whole the whole idea of the advertising campaign is to mask that over, of course, and and just beat it, beat the consumer about the head through the through the you know, uh, which which brings up all kinds the, of ethical issues. Yeah. You know, yeah. to the person who's the creative guy, you know, when you really know that the product isn't as good as it as as you you're presenting it to be, so. I mean, I could not have been more excited. And listen, it really helps as a creative person when you're really, really enthusiastic and excited about the product because you know it's a great product. So um, I was thrilled at the opportunity. And uh, here's the other thing I should mention. Uh, I, I, I referenced Smuckers uh, when I was explaining this. Well, as you know, Jeff, and maybe some of your listeners know that Smucker's was and probably still is the number one jam and jelly in the United States. They've been they've been around forever. And uh, do you remember what their tagline is, Jeff? Uh, you know, I just looked at it this morning because I was doing some prep work for our show. But it was something along the line. I, I know that you painted a beautiful picture of okay. it pointing well, to Sorrel Ridge. So why don't uh, you take the listeners yeah. through? Well, because I don't want to butcher it. I don't know. You know, I don't know if the, how much advertising they've been doing in the in the last decade or so. But certainly in the you know when I grew up in the '60s and '70s, um, everyone knew with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. That's it. That was so. It. Yep. Um, this is this is uh, uh, this was the 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 giant 
that we were having to slay. We were like David and we, and he actually told us, he said, listen, um, everyone knows Smuckers and their product sucks. So if you want to do something competitive with your advertising that, that mentions Smuckers, I'll be open to an idea that does that. So it's not often that um, a client will be willing to give us permission to do something like that. But um, he had a he had a personal experience with the owners of, of Smuckers, uh, who apparently insulted him and told him that uh, there was no market for a healthy jam. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that reason, I think he wanted to kick their ass. So. We also just, thought it was, a, we just thought it was a good strategy because listen, when you have a, a product that no one has heard of and, and your competition is a product that everyone has heard of and your product is better, it, it's almost stupid not to do a competitive uh, execution that mentions the, 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 the product that everyone knows if you could tell them why you're better. Right. So, so that was what we decided to do as a creative execution. Just, just and, as a, just as yeah. a little side note, yeah. you know, the gentleman being challenged by Smuckers, you being challenged, saying your advertising sucked. You know, I've had in my career similar things. Uh, the big genesis for me was getting eaten up in the corporate world and spit back down the ladder and being told to take it. And I just said, no, thank you. And I walked away. 20 years later, here I am actually this summer. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs with, I, I believe it was IBM, you know, on and on and on. Like if you're running a successful business and there's somebody in your company working their way up, it would seem logical to not insult that person, but rather bring them in deeper with more commitment and more passion and bring it out lest they be your competitor. So, so with, with yeah. Sorrel Ridge... You're excited about the quality of the product, but that's not the big idea, right? No. Because no, that's the big. Listen, the, 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 a big idea comes out with a really smart strategy. Right. So you know the reason why I think it's important to lay the the backdrop for this, Jeff, is because um, you can't have a great idea if you if your strategy sucks. So uh, when you have a really, really good, good strategy, it just greases the wheel, the wheels for a, a big creative idea. So the 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 um, the backdrop was set for us to then come up with a big creative idea because we had what we thought was a really um, effective strategy competing against. Uh, Smuckers. The question was in 30 seconds, and that's all we had. And our he wanted, but I, I guess I should mention the the um, the project was for a 30 second campaign, TV campaign. So yeah. he wanted one or two TV commercials, which were 30 seconds. So we had to tell this entire story in actually about 27 seconds, because you got in any commercial, you got a couple of seconds up front, and at the end, you got to fade in and fade out. So you got about. 27 seconds to tell this whole story. So, because everyone knew Smuckers because of their tagline, and we were like the David trying to uh, kill Goliath with one stone, I felt yep. if we had one stone to shoot at Goliath, we had to aim for the heart of Smuckers. And what's the heart of Smuckers? Their tagline. So, my idea was to start the commercial with the Smuckers tagline. 
And now this is going to be hard for people who are just who don't uh, have a video version of this podcast and are just listening to it. But at the top of the screen, I had the words with a name like Smuckers. With a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. And where are my hands? Okay. And on the bottom third of the um, screen was the words, it has to be good. So the screen was filled with Smucker's tagline. And the, the announcer started the commercial by saying, for years, Smucker's has been telling you they have to be good. But the fact is, Smucker's Preserves is mainly corn syrup, refined sugar, and not a lot of fruit. And with every, in, every bad ingredient, he mentioned corn syrup, refined sugar, and not a lot of fruit, a pair of hands uh, came up from the bottom. I'm doing this in reverse. This is why I'm having a hard time doing this because this is reverse on my screen. But a pair of hands would come up from the bottom of the screen. There we go. And and put up and patch over it. It has to be good. It has to be good with it might be good. It could be good. So it would be with a name like Smuckers, it it might be good, it could be good, ending with, is it really that good? And then finally, uh, and again, this is as the announcer just reading the what's in the ingredients. The fact is that Smuckers is made with mostly refined sugar, corn syrup, and not a lot of fruit. Fortunately, there's something better. The whole scene changes to a beauty shot of the Sorlwich jar surrounded by surrounded by fruit. And uh, uh, fortunately, there is something better. Sorrel Ridge with 100% fruit and fruit juice, uh, it has to be better. And our, that's what our tagline was. We just played off of Smucker's tagline by saying, with a, so Sorrel Ridge with 100% fruit, it has to be better. Just very, very simple stuff. Yep. But in 27 seconds, we pointed out that Smucker sucks and we're better. And uh, sales went up 90% in the first 30 days. Wow. Na- nationally. And uh, he spent, I think, about 350K uh, in the first six weeks running this spot in various markets around the US. And because there was, a, I mean, you rarely, when you, unless you have a direct response, advertising message. It's really hard sometimes to see a direct correlation between the advertising and, right. and, 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 the, and the response. Uh, but when he was able to determine that in the first month, sales went up 90% after running these TV commercials in, I think, three different markets around the US, he, he put another, uh, I think he scraped up another 750K that he just dumped into the media, just running the spot in those same markets, continuing maybe a few other markets around the U.S. and uh, ended up uh, and that. And so that anyway, this is the campaign that became a uh, Harvard Business case study because yeah. of you know with a with a product like um, like anything that's on the shelves of the grocery store, the big thing is called slotting allowances, where you wanna you wanna squeeze your product on the same shelf as Smuckers. And it's hard to get grocery store owners to give you that space if no one has heard of your product. So, so that's the challenge for any new product, especially when you're competing against an industry leader, whether it be Coke or Pepsi or whatever, to get right. that shelf space. So 
it was it was because of that that more and more grocery store owners around the U.S. were enabling his product to be put on the shelves, and sales just went crazy. So that was, um, you know, it's very exciting. We I love winning advertising awards, but what I'd like more is having a client tell us that you helped increase our sales. You know, that that's yeah, what really yeah. excites me. Well, I'm going to put a little pause here. So uh, I'll make a connection after our show, but uh, Chris, again, Chris Kurtz, Media Twist Group, his agency sits at the Rock Lettuce Campus. He has invited you down anytime. And if you if you choose to come down to, to Pennsylvania to see this campus, you know, somebody who likes to play guitar, somebody who I'd imagine is into music, you're going to love it. But Chris is also doing work for us. You commented it's going to be hard in, in audio to get the idea of this um, campaign. Chris was kind enough to put the link to, I believe it's Harvard, Harvard Business School, uh, the .edu site. Um, so the link's right there. And, and it'll be in the show notes and it'll be in the and comments where you watch this video. I should just uh, add, Jeff, I, I do have the spot up on my website. So I, was I think just if, say you, that. if you yep. Google the word Soil Ridge ad campaign and maybe uh, my last name, it, it yep. should come up. But if not, I'll be glad to add that link. Well, and I think the lesson, I don't think, I know the lesson for people listening, and I'm so glad we went through that, is a couple of things. One, you can slay Goliath. You just have to have the great idea, right? You can take, uh, it might not be one smooth stone. It might need seven, just like in the Bible, right? But, um, you know, if you think through the strategy to the big idea and get it, it will work. Like we, where I met Chris, we were shooting a full-blown infomercial to run on television for our retail mattress store that I co-own uh, with the idea that we're going to chunk down content um, into three-minute chunks and then chunk it down further for more quicker bites. Uh, so it was all produced with all of that in mind. And our big idea there, and I'm actually drinking from the, from the little swag that we give out for it, less snore, more cuddle. This is the benefit our mattresses give you as a husband and wife sleeping together. And for us, that's our big idea around those types of products versus saying, hey, it's on sale for 4th of July. Right. Get this free, get that free. You know, we, we paint the benefit story. We paint the idea that these things you're struggling with can be fixed and no, you don't have to sleep in two separate beds. Um, but having the marketing do your work for you as a small business is so important. So why why do you think people don't think through this enough? Why don't they focus on solving their marketing messages and ideas problems? Well, um, they think they do. <laughs> you know, many of them. I, I listen. You know, one of the. So I've been working with small business owners for the better part of. 15, 20 years, you know, first uh, when I went off on my own and still in the late 90s was working with smaller clients with my ad agency. And then from 2004 for another 10 or 15 years working with uh, sometimes solopreneurs and smaller business owners around the country. Um, so I, I have a lot of experience um, knowing what small business owners think. And um, the problem with it is that number one, they're not marketing experts. Okay, they're they're not 
they're not trained in marketing. They just don't have the experience. Um, they don't know what's, you know, they don't know as much as they need to. Most of them, not all of them, you know, I mean, obviously you're a small business, business owner, Jeff, and you, you seem very savvy about marketing, but you're, I would say you're the exception. And, you know, right. maybe you can agree with that. But, but well, I, other, think, I, yeah. I think it comes down to you have a lot of people that get into a business because from the tactician perspective, they're excellent. Be that an HVAC tech, be that, um, you know, having a car detailing business, roofing, uh, being a dentist, even, you know, the tactical stuff they're very good at, very personable. Maybe it's a generational family business dynamic. Right. So that like it's literally in their blood in some cases. And uh, so I think that if you don't carve out the time to study the craft as I have, right. which my business partnership has allowed me to stay in my visionary lane, which a lot of people don't even understand. There is lanes of your skill and expertise versus my business partner who's an integrator. He stays in his lane. And we come together for the common goal of growing our business and helping our customers. If you don't have that, that core focus, yeah, it's very hard. And you often get stuck in the weeds of the thing as opposed to marketing the idea and the benefit. So they shouldn't be marketing experts. They should be good at running their business and, and, and doing the stuff that, you know, made them have a business to begin with. So, you know, to be to be an expert at marketing, that requires uh, a, that's a full time job. I mean, I was as passionate about marketing and advertising in my business as a lot of the business owners were about their business. So, you know, I don't think you know this, uh, Jeff, but you know, one of the, one of the things as a as a marketing being in the marketing advertising profession, I. I really had to pay attention to what was coming down the pike with the media. So, um, mm -hmm. and when, you know, I mentioned video in 2012. I mean, I was involved with video in the, in the mid to late nineties. So it wasn't, it wasn't 2012 that I got involved with it. I just got more into it then, but take podcasting, for example, you know, podcasting was, became a thing in 2005. And when I heard about it, I said, I got to learn about this. I had a, I had my own podcast called The Marketing Show with John Follis in February of 2006. Wow. And I did it for seven years. So, yep. you know, I didn't want to just be able to uh, reference podcasting when I was talking to my, uh, with my uh, clients. I, I wanted to have experience with it. When I heard about blogging around the same time, 2006, 2008, I, I, I knew I had to have a blog. So I had experience with it. So, you know, that was one of the things I could uh, share from my own experience when I'm talking to uh, my, my clients and they're asking me whether or not they should have a blog. I could talk from my own experience of having had a blog for, for a while. So um, the other thing I want to mention, Jeff, in addition for them not, not being experts and, and not really... Uh, uh, they really shouldn't, they're not expected to be marketing experts, um, that they don't have the objectivity that I think is really necessary to uh, figure out how to solve their, their marketing problems. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is that 
Um, in addition to being a, a marketing expert and an award-winning creative guy, when I looked at uh, a client's business or prospective client's business that we were pitching, I came at it from a very objective standpoint. I didn't. I wasn't emotionally wrapped up into it. Yeah. And and, and I'll give you a good example of that. Um, when I started doing my online consulting in 2004, I was referred by a friend of mine um, in Chicago who said, "John, this guy needs a, a TV commercial. You do great TV work. I'm he's going to call you." And the guy called me up, said he wanted a TV commercial. Well. I don't think I was talking to him more than 10 minutes when I realized that a TV commercial was the last thing this guy needed. I mean, this was 2004, Jeff, and he didn't even have a website. Mm. And okay, it was, you know, 18 years ago, but uh, still, by 2004, you need a website. Yeah, I mean, there were people in 2004 that had made tens of millions of dollars off of websites at that point. So when I realized after talking to this guy for just a few minutes that uh, he was talking about a, a website, I mean, he was talking about a TV commercial and I was, I was doing my initial marketing therapy kind of work, just trying to, you know, understand his business and understand what's going through his, his head. And I, I, um, as much as I didn't want to talk myself out of a project because, you know, I would have gotten paid pretty well to do a TV commercial. I just couldn't, I wasn't the kind of person, I've never been the kind of person that did things just for the money. Um, I'm always, I always uh, take a long-term approach to everything that I do. And he, he might've said, he might've disagreed with me about the fact that uh, he didn't need a TV commercial and he might've said, fine, I'll find someone else to do it. But I took the chance and, and, uh, explained to him, um, why I felt it was important for him to focus on some other marketing issues, um, like having a website. And then maybe down the road, if he still wanted a, a TV commercial, I'd be happy to, to do that with, for him. But I felt he needed a website. He needed to brand himself better. He needed a, a, a better name and branding and things like that. Yep. And uh, fortunately for me and for him, um, he, I think because of the fact that he w- that I wasn't presented to him as a marketing consultant, my friend still saw me as an advertising guy who did great TV commercials. When I explained to him that I had recently started this thing called marketing therapy that uh, allowed me to work with clients like him at, in a consulting capacity, he actually got excited about it and yeah. said, "Well, let's yeah. let's start with that. I really I really like what you're saying and let's try that for a couple of hours. I'd like to hear more of what you're saying. I think what you're saying to me makes a lot of sense." And I ended up working with the guy for probably a year and a half. He just kept I I would sell my marketing uh consulting in packages of hours. So I think right. he started out with 5 hours and we went through that and he 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 was impressed by what I uh was able to do for him in that time period. And he bought another package and then he started buying 10 hour packages and ended up again, we worked together for, I think year and a half, close to two years. And it was, you know, it was a great experience. I never met the guy personally. I just, uh, and this was, we didn't even have video back then. So I never even saw his face. It was just through Skype, through the voice, voiceover thing, yep. but we had a yep. great relationship and, and he was really, um, 
happy with, with what I was able to do for him. I got to tell you a funny story, Jeff. When so, so we get the assignment, we're pitching against five other ad agencies. And at this point, Jeff, we are two guys who have only known each other for five months. Okay. Um, I'm still feeling out my partner. Um, and we're pitching against five other bona fide agencies. And I yep. walk into the meeting with the president of Sorrel Ridge, and I've got I'm presenting this commercial on uh, cardboard squares like this with different like frames. A, you know, yeah, take, in a storyboard format. Story, right? Storyboard, storyboard forms. Yep. You know, like uh, like flashcards, right? Right. So <laughs> I get up there, and I think we we because we were we wanted to get this this idea perfect. We extended it. Uh, we asked for an extra week beyond the deadline. That we, so he was kind of irritated that he gave us an extra week. So it was really chomping at the bit to see what we had to present. And I stand up in front of him. And the first thing I show him is a cardboard with the Smucker's tagline on it. And I wasn't into uh, talking for more than 10 seconds saying, okay, so we're going to start the commercial with this frame where the announcer says, and he says, what the fuck? Can I say that? You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> He's, he just he just totally interrupts me because I'm, you know, I've, I've been thinking like about... like a true business owner from New Jersey. I've been, I've been thinking about this and we've been really working ourselves up. This is, this is our opportunity to win this, this business and we know we've got a kick-ass idea. And all I say is, so we start the commercial with this frame and he just stands up, and if he had if he had a basket full of tomatoes, I think he would have just started throwing them at me. And he says, "Are you blank and serious? You're gonna, we're gonna, you want me to spend my three hundred fifty thousand dollars on a TV commercial that's gonna start? Because he absolutely hated Smuckers, right? Right. So the right. Smuckers was was like the devil." And we're telling him that he should be spending $350,000 with a commercial that's going to open up with his hated competitor's tagline. And I said, listen, um, whatever his name was, um, I said, uh, do me a favor. Just give me two minutes to present the idea to you. And then feel free to tell me what you think. Okay. Two minutes. And I said, I think you will see that we're not promoting. He said, yeah, but you're promoting our Smucker's tagline. We can't do that. I said, um, uh, Alan, whatever his name was, um, we're not, if you, if you allow me to w finish here, I think you're going to realize that we're not promoting your, your competitor's tag, tagline. We're actually dismantling it. Watch. Yeah. And... Of course, when I presented it, I could just see the expression on his face turn from wanting to come up and physically strangle me to suddenly <laughs> want to come up and kiss me. Yep. And at the end of the 90-second presentation, because that's all it took, it was pretty clear because all I needed to do was allow for him to allow me to finish going beyond saying, we're going to start with Smucker's tagline and say the next thing that we were going to do, that he act—he actually, he, he just looked at me and he said, you know what? 
I think I love it. That was his words. I think I love it. Yep. And then the question became, could we legally get away with it? Right. And that became the big question. And of course, um, every company like that who's going to be run, spending 350K <laughs> or really anything on a, on, a, on a TV commercial is going to uh, want to warn the business owner that uh, they may run into legal problems if they do that. And that's what they told him. He said, let me, he said, listen, I love your idea. Let me, uh, give me some time to discuss this with our attorneys and we'll, we'll, you know, let you know. And uh, he called us back about three or four days later and he said, um, the lawyers have a problem with it. And I said, so what's, let me guess. The lawyers are telling you that we can't use Smucker's tagline. And he said, well, the lawyers are telling us that if we use Smucker's tagline in a disparaging way like this, that there's a very good chance they're going to sue us. And I said, so it's not because we're saying anything that's not true about Smucker's. It's just that we're using their tagline and we're basically telling the truth about what's in their product and they may not be happy about that and therefore, they're going to sue us. And he said, yeah, sort of something like that. And I said, well, is that a reason not to run it? And he said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, what if they do sue you? Do you think we maybe will get some attention for the fact that they're going to sue you? And this is what I said. I said, listen, uh, Alan, you should hope that we run this commercial and they sue you. Right. You should hope that they do that. Because if they do that, we're going we're gonna to talk to CNBC and, and ABC and CBS and anyone that will Forbes business and anyone that will listen to us and give us an opportunity to talk about this and talk about this because this would be a story about the little guy going against the big guy. And the fact of the matter is that you have a better product. And the reason why Smuckers is upset is because we are exposing them. Yeah, you're telling the truth. And everybody loves to see David win over Goliath. Absolutely. And so so let's run this and hope that Smuckers sues you. And he said, you know something? Let me think about that. And about two days later, he called us and he said, you know, the, the lawyers still don't want us to do this, but you know what? Let's do it. Yep. And we, we did it with bated breath because we were waiting, you know, 24 hours Still no loss, no cease and desist, because that's going to be the first thing. The first thing, first of all, smuckers would be foolish to sue us right off the bat. The first thing that they're going to do is send us a cease and desist. And we didn't even get a cease and desist from smuckers. Oh, wow. So um, I think, I think, Smuck, I'm sure the owner of smuckers said, we got to sue those bastards. And if, if the lawyers for, uh, Smuckers were any good, they probably said, well, I could understand why you'd want us to do that, but let's think about this. Right. Do we, do because we really, what was really said and what wasn't said. Yeah. They said the fact of the matter uh, is uh, um, that uh, they're not saying anything that's not true. Right. And uh, we, can, we can take legal action, uh, to try to take legal action 
And we certainly have more money than they do, so we can help to bleed them to death legally. But do we really want to um, do we want to make an issue out of this uh, if what they're saying is true? <laughs> and with you right. know that just because we have a name like Smuckers doesn't you know doesn't mean that you know we have to be good. You can't argue with that. Yeah, that's that's all yeah. they're saying. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what a great. Uh, what a great campaign. Big idea. It's always good to see the little guy win. It's always good to see people promote good people with good products and, and to do good things. As we, as we look to wrap up, you went to the White House for a good idea. Um, and this was in your support of the National Association for Prevention of Child Abuse. Yeah. Um, and you're passionate about that for a number of reasons. So why don't you share why you're passionate about that effort, that charity. Yeah. I mean, obviously, nobody wants to see children be abused, but there's there's a reason, and I think it's yeah. important for our listeners to uh, to hear. Well, earlier in this podcast, you quoted David Ogilvy, and I've always um, been a follower of the um, the thought leaders in the advertising, like Do David Ogilvy. So I'm familiar with a lot of quotes like that, and my work with. Uh, Child abuse prevention came out of a quote from another uh, advertising legend, a guy by the name of Bill Burnback, <clears throat> who had a, an agency in New York that I actually ended up working at. And his quote went something to, to the effect of, uh, the advertising people uh, in this country are the most skilled communicators in the world. Uh, wouldn't it be great if they used their communication talents toward helping make the world a better place? Which was, you know, a way of saying get involved in 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 more yep. public service causes. So I stumbled on that quote at some point when I was in my early twenties, and kept that uh, in mind throughout my career, starting, you know, from that that point on. So whenever I had an opportunity to um, devote my time and and talent toward causes, I would try to do that. Now the campaign. The work that I did that you referenced, Jeff, was uh, something that I kind of fell into. Um, I just happened to be watching TV one night. It was a PBS special on the life of Adolf Hitler. It was a documentary. And during that program, it mentioned that Hitler was abused on a regular, regular basis by his father, which is no surprise when you think about it. But it was a fact that I was not aware of at the time. And we're talking, this was about uh, 25 years ago. So more people may know about it now, but I didn't know about it then. But of course, when I heard that fact, <clears throat> being the advertising idea guy that I am, a light bulb went off uh, over my head. And I said, I got to figure out how to take this fact about Hitler being abused as a kid and come up, uh, figure out an ad that uses that fact that can. Uh, draw more attention to child abuse prevention. So I, I came up with an ad that I uh, that that did that. I showed it to my business partner. He got excited about it and felt like I did that we had to find someone to uh, run this ad. And it's rare that you 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 have an ad before you have a relationship with a client to run that ad. But this was a case where that was the this was a situation where that was the case. We had the ad. Then we had to find an organization that might consider running it. And we reached out to the National Committee for the Prevention of Child Abuse, 
that was based in Chicago. We were in New York. And it was just a, a situation of good timing, Jeff, where when we called or when he called them up and we mentioned that we were in New York, we didn't tell them, we didn't want to reveal the ad to them yet. Um, but they mentioned that they were going to be coming to New York. And at that point, we could meet with them when they were in New York and we could present our ad to them. And they said the, the reason they were coming to New York was they were working, they were doing something with the NBA. They didn't say what they were doing with the NBA, but they said that the NBA uh, headquarters was where we could meet them to present our ad. So uh, when they came to New York, we had pretty up, big. Yeah, we we were going up to the headquarters for the NBA, and I found myself, uh, my partner and I found ourselves in a meeting with a couple of people from Chicago, from this child abuse organization, and about five people from the NBA sitting around a conference table. Now, the NBA had no idea, NBA people had no idea why we were there. And I have an ad featuring Adolf Hitler that I'm going to present <laughs> to like seven people sitting around a big conference table. Yep. And we didn't, we didn't know what was going on with the NBA. And it was an all very, to say the least, it was a very awkward situation. But uh, I ended up presenting the ad and um, they took one look at it. And unlike the situation with Smucker's, with the Smucker Saw Ridge thing, the guy said, uh, the, the, it was a woman from the uh, child abuse organization said, um, well, that's definitely an attention-getting ad, John, but um, I don't think that would be appropriate for our organization. And unlike the situation with Saw Ridge, I could not uh, debate my way or argue right. my way into <laughs> selling the ad, especially when I've got five people from the NBA looking at what the hell is going on here. Right. You know? Um so uh, I was, you know, my at a certain point, because I, I kept trying to sell the ad, and my partner is literally kicking me under the table, telling me to shut up, because right. because they said they started to change the conversation and started to reveal why they were there talking to the NBA, which was to get the NBA to agree to allow them some TV airtime to run a TV campaign for their organization to the tune of about $5 million worth of TV media time. Which is a massive buy. In 1991, today that would be worth at least twice that. Right, right. So um, they, they started to say, well, we're not crazy about that ad, but we're, you know, we just had a conversation with the NBA who has agreed to um, donate a, a few million dollars worth of TV airtime. And we're now, right now, on a schedule here because it was about a month before the playoffs. And they, they said uh, the, they had some extra media time that's unsold for the upcoming playoffs. And right now, we're trying to find an ad agency or you know, a creative resource that would be willing to come up with some TV commercials. And I just was, you know, I was looking back, I was. I was I was so upset that they because I thought this ad that I came up with was was really was going to be really effective. I I was still focused on trying to sell this ad, and that's when my partner was kicking me under the table to shut up 
so we could yep. switch gears and start saying, oh, yes, we would be open to that idea. Sure. So finally, so, I, I finally got the message and stopped talking uh, like I'm talking now. And we ended up getting the assignment where in like uh, two and a half weeks, I had to come up with a series of TV commercials that somehow um, combine the idea of child abuse prevention with basketball. And the NBA would have been fine with just having one of their players on a, a locked camera with you know a little child sitting on their knee reading a script off a teleprompter. There's no way I was going to do that as a you know right. creative guy. I, I said the only, in fact, I said it at the meeting. I said, "Listen, we'd love to to help you out here, but I have to tell you, if you want to just do something like that, if that's your idea of a TV commercial." You could find someone else to do it. I actually said this at the meeting. I can't, you know, you know, uh, you know, which is because listen, we weren't getting a lot of, we weren't getting paid a lot of money. I think we were getting our production expenses covered or something like that. But we we were doing it as as an opportunity to showcase our creative talents at, as an ad, ad agency, and we wanted to do something that was. Uh, uh, not just effective, but also, you know, we th we thought it could be more effective if it had a big idea to it, you know, back to what we were saying. So we wanted right. to make sure before they gave us the assignment that they were open to the idea of something that would deviate from their preconceived idea of just having an NBA player reading something off of a uh, teleprompter. So they, they kind of looked at each other uh, a little bit and said, well, Okay. So that's a powerful ad. So in two and a half weeks' time, you come up with that concept. And then that got the attention of the White House, right? Well, there were, there were three. Uh, we did a campaign of three. So I was working nonstop, day and night, for about two and a half weeks. That was one of them. And, you know, kind of it kind of covered all the bases because the NBA said, listen, we don't care what you do, but... <laughs> okay. Is that the, that's the original ad, I guess? Uh, <laughs> or maybe uh, some original Oh, he's, original he's, he found my material. article. Let's see. Uh, it's it's actually it's a teaser. It's a teaser to watch a video, a short video that I made that actually tells the whole story that I just told earlier. I made a yep. a short video where you can actually see the ad. But uh, yeah, that's not the actual ad. Um, but if you watch the video there, it's a, it's it's a twenty minute video. But uh, the ad is also on my website. Uh, he's, you don't want to play that. That's a twenty minute thing. But it's. He could, he could, he could, kudos to Chris, man. He, he's, uh, he's doing his research. I'm impressed. Yeah. He's, he's on top of it. Um, it's that's great to have a good team around you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the key, you know, if I, if I knew this, I would have had the ad prepared, but I think Hitler ad, John Follis or something like that. You might, you might, cause it's on my website somewhere. So, uh, yeah. child abuse ad Hitler, uh, it should come up. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how, uh, how good Chris is digging that up. But, um, the point I was trying to make is, you know, I had to be sensitive when I came up with these the concepts. The NBA said, listen, you come up with whatever big idea you want to, but the reason we're doing this is because we want we want uh, an NBA connection to these spots. So we're not telling you, you, you have to have an NBA guy reading, sitting in front of a camera reading a script, but we do want some NBA stuff in your commercial. So yeah. this is where I was able to combine uh, the NBA brand with a message that also uh, tied into the idea of child abuse, and that's where that's where the creativity came in. Because I said, "Gee, if you're a little kid and you look at 
if you're, you know, four or five years old, six years old, you look up to your dad, it would be just like you or I standing next to a guy who's seven yeah, feet. Absolutely. You know, and that's pretty that's pretty intimidating if we were doing that. So just imagine how intimidating uh you would feel if you're even, you know, if you're just angry, you know, not that you're being abusive, but if you just got that angry vibe going on and you're leaning over your kid, you need to appreciate uh, how scary that is for a child. So that was the analogy I was going for. And that was one, like I said, that was uh, one of three three commercials that we did. And then a month later, somehow, I still don't know how uh, th- the connection was made, but someone at the White House uh, uh, decided that they wanted to uh, acknowledge people around the country who were doing good good things, not ne- not exclusively with child abuse, but just for you know public service efforts around the country. Right. So, I was my partner and I were one of a couple of dozen people who received an invitation to be uh, invited and honored at the White House. So that was that was certainly one of the highlights. But I got to tell you this, Jeff. So after all this happened, the commercials ran. NBA was thrilled. We got invited to the White House. I'm talking to my partner and we both look at each other and we say, we still got to sell this Hitler ad. This is too good just to <laughs> go in the, in the ad trash bin. Right. And being the good new, being the good salesperson that he was, uh, he's got, oh, see campaign case. I think, I think uh, Chris is getting close to finding the ad. So if he clicks that see campaign case, I think he might find it uh, somewhere in there. Um, the ad keeps scrolling. Uh, um, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's getting close. He's getting close. This talks about all the NBA stuff. So those are, uh, he's getting close. He's, those are some of the other, those are some of the, uh, <laughs> oh, play that, play that, play that view thing. This is funny. Play that, play this. This is hilarious. Turn the volume up, Chris. Yeah, I'd start it from the head and turn the volume. This is hilarious. I got uh, I was on the 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 channel the the evening news in New York City. Uh I unmute it there, uh Chris. And turn the volume up. This is hilarious. Okay. He's out. Yeah, Check- we might have some issues there. I mean, the point being, um, and again in our show notes. You're going to have, uh, you'll be able to explore everything that is John Follis. Um, I just want to mention, be able to I just, get to his site. Sorry for any, I just wanted the, what I wanted to say is that um, because we still had this Hitler ad, we ended up selling the Hitler ad to the uh, a chapter, a child abuse chapter in Albany, New York, that ran it as a newspaper ad. And oh. it, that enabled us to enter it in, into the award shows, which we did. And then about a month after that, I got a letter from the United Nations saying, congratulations, your ad has just received the first ever United Nations Public Service Award. So I got invited to the United Nations where I picked up a United Nations Public Service Award that year. Yep. Well, which the lesson is, you know, when you do good things and they're really good and they're really genuine. They do get recognized, maybe not on a national, international level, but if you're listening, you're watching, you know, we do it in our business. We do it. I do a show, John, just like this, uh, video format live stream for our retail store every week called Lancaster Connects. And it's all about highlighting local charities, local small businesses where their ethos is to do good as well. Because I don't think we should just take from the community by selling to it. 
we should give back to it. And yet we've not been recognized by the White House or even the State House, but everybody that we've had on the show, all the people that support those organizations love what we do and in their own way, return in kind. And that's not the reason we did it, but it does happen. And, and it doesn't start unless you decide to give back. And, and that's, that's the whole big takeaway from this. Um, so I love it. Love everything about it. Um, what, John, what, what, great- Chris was, Chris, what Chris is trying to show, uh, Jeff, is that um, after this, this ad ran and it won that United Nations Award and people were calling up who saw the ad in the newspaper saying, can I get a poster of this? This is an amazing ad. I did a follow-up ad that I tried to get um, an outdoor company in New York to put on bus shelters in New York, mm. a giant picture of Hitler dealing with child abuse. And it got rejected by the outdoor media companies because they didn't think it would be too cool for them to show a um, a four foot by three and a half foot picture of Adolf Hitler on the streets of New York City. Right. Even though it was for a good cause. And because it didn't run, I got the attention of some no- local news guys who made it a story because it didn't run because it was too edgy to run. So that night I was on... Uh, three New York channels talking about the Hitler ad that was too edgy to run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, you know, obviously a lot of lessons in there, but you got them talking about your agency, which was great, you know, in and of itself. Um, so yeah, listen, I've geeked out on our time together because again, like I said, right at the beginning, this is something that I love to do. It's my lane. It's one of my core focuses in our business, in our retail business that I co-own. And, uh, John, this has just been an absolute pleasure to uh, have you on the show. Um, we've been putting your contact information up. Obviously, you said at the beginning, you're kind of a little, little more retired than not these days, focusing on your passions and pursuits there. But if you want to connect with John, you can go. We have all of his links in the show notes and in the posts for this episode. So you can connect with him there if you're so inclined. And, and just you know, study the greats. And, John, I mean, like, I put you in that. This has been awesome to have a legitimate Madison Avenue ad man on my show. Because like I said, if you could see my office downstairs, uh, you would see that I do study this and have a lot of a lot of material to pull from for my influence today. So John, this has just been a pleasure. Thanks so much That's for being good. on our show. It's been a blast, Jeff. Thanks again for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, hey, we'll see everybody next week on The Big Ticket Life. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what isn't possible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. 
So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.